Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Coakley, come on up, girl. One of the things that I love about our worship choir is is what you heard today, you heard them not just sing good songs, but they sang the gospel over and over and over. It is the gospel that has the power to save. Coakley's going to help me by being my scripture reader today. Step in close. We got this one on, Mr. Bill? Give it a sec. Mr. Bill, I'm going to be on wireless six. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the good news I preached to you, which you did now have put your faith in. Please, because you believe that the good news you are saved, you must hold firmly to the message I preached to you. If you don't, you have believed it for nothing. What I received, I have in the past, and it is the most important of all. Here is what it is. Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said he would. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said he would be. He arrived to Peter, then he arrived to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 believers at the same time. Most of them are still living, but some have died. He appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, he also appeared to me. I was like someone who wasn't born at the right time or in a normal way. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's what our girl Coakley just read. And I'm grateful for her reading that for us. I want to look at, at uh, just a couple verses here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look in verse 3. Look at 3 and 4 and 5. And then we're going to talk about the resurrection. Surprise, right? Here's what it says. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. First importance. First importance, don't miss that. Here's what the first importance is. That Christ died for our sins. Amen, somebody? In accordance with the scriptures. 
Now, if you've been with us the past couple weekends, you've heard how in accordance with the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. That, that the, the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not accidental, but rather it was the plan of God from the foundations of the world that Christ would die to set sinners free. And so that's where we were the last two weeks. You should go back and listen to the last two weeks because of the beauty of God's word and how it all comes together. You should do it. He, was, he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried, comma, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what I want you to see today. Here's my point that I'm going to make today is that Jesus' death was in accordance with the Scriptures. His burial was in accordance with the Scriptures. And His resurrection was in accordance with the Scriptures. What I want you to see today through the beauty of God's Word is that the resurrection was not an accident where God says, all right, guys, He's in heaven. He's doing a holy huddle with the angels. And He goes, He died. We didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do now? How do we make lemonade when we got lemons? That's not what happened. Rather, in fact, we see that from the very beginning of the world, throughout the scriptures, that, that Jesus was planned. It was planned for Jesus to go to a cross, to a tomb, and burst out of the tomb on the third day. Now, I want to show you that. So, um, what scriptures would be the question? In accordance with the scriptures, there's got to be some scriptures. What are they? Now, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus talked about the resurrection a lot. He would say over and over as he was getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, hey, I just need you to know, when we get to Jerusalem, bad stuff's going to happen. They're going to spit on me and mock me and crucify me, and I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise. But they always missed the point. They always missed it. So Jesus himself said it, and when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians, he's looking back at Jesus' word. They considered that the gospel scriptures at that time. But what other scriptures? What other scriptures? Now, I've got a number of scriptures up here on the screen. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10 says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. So David the psalmist is writing 1,000 years before Jesus is born, and he is prophesying of the Messiah and even of himself that you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You will not abandon his soul to Sheol. Do you see it? Now here's what Paul is, is or uh, David is recognizing, the psalmist is recognizing there in that passage that because this is true of the Messiah, this is true of me. He didn't know the Messiah's name. He was looking forward in faith. We look back trusting. We look back trusting. Psalm chapter 22. We looked at Psalm chapter 22 just a few weeks ago. We've got it, I think, on the screen, verses 29 to 31. Now, Psalm 22 is one of the clearest expressions of the crucifixion in all of the Bible, specifically in all of the Old Testament. And it gives in detail a prophecy 1,000 years before Jesus died of how he would be crucified, how he'd be betrayed, how he would be nailed to a cross, how they would cast lots for his garments. A 1,000 years before he died, he's, the promises are coming. And then it ends with this. All the prosperous of the earth 
eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. That him is the one who would be crucified. They will bow down, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. That's the coming generations shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 9 through 11 says this, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Is that familiar at all? He died in between two what? And he was buried in a whose tomb? A rich man's tomb. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That is the suffering servant. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, listen to what it says of the servant. The servant shall see his offspring. The servant shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Let me tell you something. If you're dead, you can't accomplish any of those things. But God's word is very clear that the servant would rise again. Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 to 2 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will rise or raise us up. Do you see it? Do you see the scripture prophesying, pointing forward? Not only does it prophesy and point forward that the Messiah would die a sinner's death according to the will of God, but that he would be raised according to the will of God and power, but it also pictures it for us. It shows us pictures. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah and the big fish. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you know that when Jesus is on earth, he, he says to the people listening, he says, no sign's going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and then rise again. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. That the death of Jesus was in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with the will of God, and that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was in accordance with the Scriptures according to the will of God. Now, here's why that's important. Here's why the resurrection is important. So often we focus on the cross, and the cross is invaluable. It's, you can't do without the cross. The cross is central to our faith, but you can't have the cross without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we're missing something, and we need to understand what we're missing today. And so I want to use one word today, and I'm going to define that word three ways. I want to look at the word assurance. Assurance. We all want assurance, don't we? Don't we all want some kind of assurance in our life that things are going to turn out well? We all want assurance in our life that our children are going to grow up and be successful human beings. We all want assurance in our life 
that, you know, if I get in some kind of car accident, that my insurance will take care of all of that stuff. Or if I get really sick, I want some kind of assurance that I'll be taken care of. We all want assurance. I want to tell you a little story about assurance that happened yesterday. We went to Whispering Pines Farm yesterday, and and at Whispering Pines Farm, there's some strong believers who own Whispering Pines, and we happened to see David Shirley and the, the, uh, Miss Kathy in the well there. Uh, they were there taking their children. But there yesterday, um, somebody made a bet with my son, my oldest son, Miles. And the bet was, I'll give you $5 if you kiss that goat on the lips. True story. $5. And I was like, Miles, that'd be the easiest $5 you've ever made. You don't have to rake anything or stack anything. You just got to kiss a goat. Your mouth's already dirty. I mean, that boy. But here's what he did. He looked at the person making the bet and he goes, show me the money. I ain't raised no fool. He wanted assurance, didn't he? He wanted assurance that if I put my lips on that goat, that there's going to be money coming my direction. And guess what? When the money came out, the kiss took place, all right? He made, he's $3 richer, $3 richer than he was yesterday. He wanted assurance. Guess what? We all want assurance. How much more do we want assurance when it comes to spiritual things, eternal things, forgiveness things, salvation things? Do you know one of the biggest problems that I see people walking around? They're walking around here, even inside God's church, and they have no assurance. They say things like, well, I sure hope that one day I'll get to go to heaven. I sure hope that God could forgive me. I sure hope that God can love me. I sure hope. And they have no assurance. I can't tell you how many people I've, I've talked to in my office or out on the streets lately um, that just are living lives without any form of assurance. They don't know. And I want you to know today that you can know. And it's not because of what you have done, but it's only because of what Christ has accomplished. And I want you to understand that you can have assurance that you can know, that you can know, that you can know for certain that if you were to step into eternity uh, at this very moment, that your sins could be forgiven, that you could have peace with God, and you could have an eternity with Him. And the assurance is the resurrection. And I want to show you that today out of this scripture. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And there is assurance of three facts. That the resurrection assures believers of three facts. The first fact that that the resurrection assures us of is found in verse 14. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and look at it, your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. I want you to imagine something. Go back to Jerusalem with me real fast. 
go to Jerusalem with me and imagine how the week, the Passion Week, the Holy Week went. And if you're walking that road with me, I want you to imagine way back when on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called your name. And he said, come follow me. Can you just hear that voice? He says, come follow me. And you leave everything like the other disciples and you come follow him. And over the next three years, you see some of the most incredible things that your eyes have ever beheld. You hear his teaching. You, you hear Jesus saying things that are mind-boggling. You hear him say things that you've never heard before. You see him do incredible wonders and miracles. And your mind is just in a constant state of being blown everywhere you go. Can you just imagine that with me? And then you, you see his healing people. He touches people. People touch his robe and they're healed. And you go, who is this guy? He speaks to a storm and the storm quiets down. And then, three years of ministry next to Jesus, you go, this is the Messiah. It took you a while because we're slow learners. This is the Messiah. We're on, he's going to Jerusalem. I can't wait till he gets to Jerusalem. They're, they come down out of Bethany. They find a donkey, a colt that he's never ridden before. Or has never been ridden before. He rides into Jerusalem on this colt of a donkey. And they throw tunics and palm branches on the ground. And they're waving them and they're screaming, Hosanna! Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you're just walking along going, you're taking it all in. You're just imagining how incredible this moment is that you are on the side of the donkey that Jesus the King is riding into Jerusalem in. And you're just relishing in the glory of that moment. Can you feel it? And then you get into Jerusalem and you go to the temple and Jesus comes into the temple and you can see his face turn from joy to sorrow and anger. And he runs into the temple and he makes a whip out of something. I didn't know Jesus was that resourceful. He must have been related to my mama. Can I get a witness? My mama could make a whip out of anything. And he, he began to overturn tables and he cast out uh, 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 chain, or those who were changing money. And he, he, he got rid of all of the animals that were in the place that was meant for prayer and for the nations to come and worship. And you say, yeah, sick them, Jesus. Can you just imagine being there? And then after a full day, you leave Jerusalem and you go back up the Mount of Olives and you walk back up that hill and you go find a place to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover meal is just one of the most spiritual things you've ever experienced in your life. There's something incredible about what Jesus is doing. I didn't want it to end and then he said, one of you is going to betray me. And that killed the mood right there. And then he said, let's go pray. We went to one of Jesus' favorite places to pray. The Garden of Gethsemane. 
and we fell asleep. And Jesus was arrested. And my friend Peter, I'm glad he's a bad shot because he'd have killed somebody, but he really just cut his ear off. So we followed him kind of at a distance because we didn't want to get in trouble too. We followed him in to Caiaphas' house where he was accused of so many things, so many things we knew Jesus didn't do. He was tortured and he, the next day he was crucified and then he died. And I remember carrying Jesus from the cross to the tomb. I thought he was the Messiah. He wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to conquer. He's supposed to save. Can you imagine what Saturday must have felt like? There's silence. Jerusalem is just quiet. All of the crowds either shouting against him or shouting forward or for him are in their homes. You don't want to leave your house because you're just afraid of what might happen. Sunday, you knew you had business to do. You knew you had to go to the tomb. And we've got to prepare Jesus for burial. Can you imagine the weight that the disciples felt? Can you imagine how their faith was wavering those days? Can you imagine that? Are you with me? Do you feel that? And they go to prepare a body. They get to the tomb. And the tomb is empty. And you know what their first thought wasn't? He's alive! Somebody stole him. They still didn't get it. I want to read to you Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, and I want you to hear what is said by Luke. He says, as, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, the angels, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has written. And then they remind them. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all of the rest. On that, in that very moment, they learned that the resurrection was central to their faith. They learned that without the resurrection, there would be no faith at all. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says this, And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. Can you imagine the wonder of the disciples? He's alive. The relief that the disciples experienced in that moment when they heard that Jesus was alive, can you imagine the relief they felt? How their faith in those moments was made strong? The crucifixion assures us that our faith is not in vain. There's a man named Josephus. He was a, a Jewish historian in the first century. And this is what he says about Jesus 
at this time there was a wise man called Jesus and his conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, a Jewish um, historian says, accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah. Concerning whom the prophets have written, uh, reported wonders and the tribes of the Christians so named after him has not appeared to this day. I need you to understand that the crucifixion and the resurrection is central to our faith. It is an assurance that our faith is not in vain. If Jesus was in the tomb, our faith is in vain. But because Jesus is in the tomb, our faith in a Savior is not in vain. Secondly, that I want you to see, in Christ, His resurrection, our sins are truly forgiven. I want you to understand this. For thousands of years, Jewish people had been taught about holiness. They'd been taught of God's holiness. They'd been taught about their sin. They'd grown up with um, the consequences of their sins in, in their lives and in the relationship to God. And, and I, I just need you to know, that's true with us. We all have sinned in front of a holy God. We all have sinned against Him and broken relationship. And some of us even today are experiencing the consequences of the sin in our life. And whether you grew up in church or you haven't grown up in church, I need you to know that you can't save you. You need a Savior. And all, all I have to show are my failed attempts at saving myself. And God, throughout the Old Testament, taught the Jews about sacrifices, that an animal would die in their place. I wonder, growing up as a Jewish kid, how many sacrifices you must have seen. Hundreds, maybe thousands you, you've experienced. I want you to understand that each of their sacrifices was raised in their home. Because the sacrifice had to be perfect spotless, blameless, well cared for. It couldn't be blemished. It couldn't be flawed. It couldn't be scrawny. It couldn't be the worst of the worst. It had to be the best of the best. And the way to get a sacrificial animal was to bring it inside the house and care for it. Are you with me? Has anybody ever had a pet pig or a, a pet chicken? And then when you were a little kid, your dad said, all right, it's time to eat bacon over here you made it really hard to kill your pet I want you to understand that each family would take a spotless lamb and raise it in their home and that lamb would become like a pet they loved the lamb they fed the lamb until it was time for a sacrifice the lamb stood condemned the hands of the owners were placed on the head of the lamb while God would attribute the sins of the owners to the head of the sacrifice, and then the beloved lamb would be slain, and the owners were told that their sins were now forgiven. Can you imagine having to kill your beloved lamb? But how did the Jews know that their sins were forgiven? They didn't. They couldn't. There was no assurance that their sins were forgiven. So the next time they sinned, guess what? Another Lamb, another sacrifice. 
And then Jesus came into the world. John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Understand that Jesus was God's beloved Lamb, sinless, spotless, cared for, nurtured, raised in the Father's house, loved deeply by the Father until it was time for the sacrifice. And that was when God placed our sins on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. And Jesus was killed there on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. That's what Good Friday is about. Why is it good? Listen to me, church family. Because on Good Friday, Jesus suffered an infinite amount of wrath without any mixture of mercy so that we could receive an infinite amount of mercy without any mixture of wrath. But how do we know that our sins are forgiven? How do we know that that worked? Have you ever wondered that? How do I know that Jesus really did forgive my sins? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I need you to understand that the Jews had seen lots of sacrifices in their entire life, but they never had a sacrifice come back from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the proof that his payment for sins was accepted by God. That Jesus is who he says he is and actually could do what he said he would do. And when he said it is finished, the resurrection proves that it is finished. When he says that the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, his resurrection proves that he could actually remove your sins. What would it take for Jesus to go back on that word? You ever thought about that? What if I can outsin his forgiveness? What would it take for Jesus to go back on that word that he's forgiven us? Let me tell you what it would take. It would take the powers of hell to reach into the heavenly places to grab hold of King Jesus, pull him back out of his throne, and put him back in the tomb. That's what it would take. For you to outsin the grace of God. But the simple fact that Jesus is alive proves that you can't outsin his grace. You can't outrun him. Your darkness is not darker than his light. Your deep stains are not stronger than his purifying blood. Third thing I want you to see is in verses 21 and 22. Through Christ we receive new life. It says, For as by a man came death, that man's Adam, by a man has, also come, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23 says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to him. I want you to understand that through Christ we have his resurrection. We have assurance of our own personal resurrection. We have assurance that we experience new life in Christ. You have, because of that new life, guess what? You have a new master. Sin, where sin once reigned in your life, Jesus now reigns in power. You have 
new power in your life where you were once helpless and hopeless to please God. The resurrection makes it possible for you to live a life that pleases God through his death and resurrection. You have new victory. Where once sin used to dominate you and rule in your life, now you can, by God's grace, dominate sin through the resurrection power. And he promises that Christ is the first fruits. That word first fruits insinuates the idea that if there's a first fruit, there's another fruit. That if he was the first one to come, that if he was the first one to be raised from the dead, you and I who have put our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ on an old rugged cross, an empty tomb, and a, in, in his resurrection, we also will be raised with him into glory. You will receive by his resurrection, resurrection life. When does that start, Ryan? The moment that you trust him. Most people are waiting till they die to experience life. And Jesus said, I died so you might have abundant life. Now. I didn't die so you have abundant life later. I died so you could have abundant life now. My simple appeal. After the appeal that our choir made to you today. I make a secondary appeal. That you today would trust in the deep, deep well of Jesus' blood, you would trust that Jesus alone, His death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient to save you. You would trust that your faith's not in vain, that your salvation is sure, that you today leave this place with assurance if you walked in with no hope at all. My appeal to you today is that if you have not already, that you would run to the cross of Jesus Christ and trust Him for your salvation knowing that His grace is so much greater than your sin. I'm asking you to trust Him. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want you today to trust Him as Savior. And surrender to him as Lord. Simple appeal. Would you stand with me? And I know. Some of you, you came with family. It'd be right embarrassing if I got out and walked down the aisle. Because my family's watching me. It might be, but let me tell you something. The, the reward for leaving your seat will be far better than the embarrassment that you'll face. I don't know these people. I'm just a guest here at their church. It's okay. You're going to become family in just a minute. I just want to encourage you to trust them. Would you pray with me? You're going to bow your head. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask that you do what the Lord leads you to do in these moments. Father, thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that, that there is assurance that the resurrection offers each one of us. Thank you there is assurance that our faith is not in vain. The tomb's still empty. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there is assurance 
that my sins are forgiven, and there's assurance that I will be resurrected with Jesus. That I'll experience new life now and in eternity. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters that we would recommit our lives to Jesus today as Savior and Lord. And I pray for any friends here today that have not ever done that. They've never trusted you or they've doubted, they've wavered. I pray that they'd find assurance in Christ. Lead us to respond how you want us to respond for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? As we sing, this is an opportunity for you to respond. You move.